Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. Support for Criminal comes from Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who switch to Progressive save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. This episode contains references to suicide and language that may not be suitable for everyone. Please use discretion. Do you ever go back to San Bernardino? Not if I can help it. Why? It's ugly (laughs) out there. (laughs) Nah. I'm a city girl, L.A. girl, beach girl. I don't go back there. Deborah Miller is 72. In the 1950s, she moved to San Bernardino County with her parents and her two younger brothers. Do you remember, were you, were you, did you find yourself closer to your mother or your father? At the time, I thought I was closer to my father. Tell me a little bit about him. What, what did he do? What was he like? Um, he was very handsome, like Errol Flynn kind of handsome. He was very gifted. Um, he had a wonderful voice. He played the piano, anything you wanted, by ear. Um, he was a dentist. He did not like being a dentist. He'd gone into it because... His brother and his brother-in-law went into it. After World, well, during World War II, they set up these programs to get doctors and dentists through school faster um, because they needed them. Now, this is after World War II, and the schools remained. And so my father graduated from dental school and was a practicing dentist at 21. His name was Gordon Miller. The family were Seventh-day Adventists, and her father hoped to leave dentistry and enroll in an Adventist medical school in California to become a doctor. Deborah says that her father felt he only had two options, doctor or dentist. He didn't really want to do either one. He wanted to be a pilot. He would take Deborah and her brothers on drives to the airport to watch the planes. And what about your mother, She was very pretty. She had long nails always. I remember saying to her, I wish my nails could be like yours. And she said, they will when when you grow up. She 
She was sort of the most wonderful, terrible person I've ever known in my entire life. On the one hand, she spoiled me with material things, and that was the way she showed her love. On the other hand, she was very mean to me. And um, my house, was, everything was unpredictable. You know, you could do one thing and it'd be fine and do it again another day and you would be slapped or, you know, whatever. So it was a nervous house to, to grow up in. Her mother's name was Lucille Miller. When the family moved from Oregon to California, Deborah was in the middle of the first grade, which meant she had to start at a new school. And I'm shy. Well, I don't know if I'm shy anymore. But my mom told the teacher to bring out the most popular girl in the room, typical of my mom. And she did, and we became best friends. Deborah says that as she got older, she started getting closer to her mother. I had been daddy's little girl, but he was becoming obnoxious. Um, He didn't like that I was growing up. And I wanted nail polish and a little bit of lipstick. And and if he'd had his way, you know, he would have sent me to the bathroom to clean my face. And my mother wouldn't let him. I remember that morning around the breakfast table um, when my father said, why is she wearing lipstick? Take off that lipstick. And my mother said, leave her alone. And sort of from that point on, I knew she was my ally. Do you remember any time watching them together, interacting, any closeness that you ever saw between them, niceness? I never saw closeness between them. My father was a very cold man, and my mother was a very affectionate woman. I mean, there couldn't have been two people more who shouldn't have been together. When Deborah was 13, her mother had an affair with someone from their church. It was the father of Deborah's best friend. I knew about it. How did you know about it? Well, my mother told me. I I was a little bit of her confidant, even though I was 13. (laughs) And I felt proud to be her confidant. Eventually, Deborah's father also found out about Lucille's affair. He often threatened to leave, and some nights he did, walking out of the house with his portable radio and a change of underwear. In the mornings, he would come back. But eventually, he really did move out. In July of 1964, he and Lucille began to file for divorce. But he would still come to see Deborah and her brothers. Well, he would come up and visit us for dinner, and it would just be silent, you know? Nobody tried to make it like nothing unusual was happening. But then, Gordon moved back in. He and Lucille saw a marriage counselor. Deborah remembers things were cold and tense. Her father hadn't started medical school like he'd planned. He kept working as a dentist. He told his accountant he was sick of looking at open mouths. The family had been in California for seven years, and they were over $63,000 in debt. 
Deborah's father, often got migraines. She later learned that he had become addicted to pills that he was prescribing himself. And then, on October 8, 1964, she woke up to find a police car at the top of their driveway. And I knew my father was dead. I knew that he wanted to commit suicide. And I knew that he planned to do it in a car accident so that my mother would have insurance, you know, to raise us. So that's what I thought had happened. She knew all of this because it's what her mother had told her. So I walked over to the other side of the house to my mother's room, and she was all curled up in the middle of the bed with this sort of white, uh, light nightgown on. And I said, did he kill himself? And she said, no, it was an accident. And then she asked me to go get my brothers. Guy was three years younger, and Ron was five years younger. And we all stood at the end of her bed. She didn't call us to her to hug her, or it was in a way like a very cold setting um, and awkward for her children. Then the next thing I knew, we were being picked up by friends of my father and mother that I didn't really know. A woman named Joan Lance came in a green station wagon. She picked up Deborah and took her to her house. Deborah's mother stayed behind. At the Lance's house, Deborah says she didn't know what to do. She sat in front of the television. Sometimes the phone rang, and she tried to eavesdrop. But Joan Lance would either whisper or use the phone in her bedroom and close the door. A friend that we knew came by in her car um, to take me for a drive. And it was getting late in the afternoon, and and I was like 13. And um, we went up in the hills, and she let me drive. She'd done that before. And I remember I said to her, when is mom coming home? And she said, she won't be coming home, Debbie. And she didn't. I'm Phoebe Judge. This is Criminal. Deborah Miller's mother was arrested 12 hours after her father had been found. What did they say your mother had done? They said that she had drugged my father, and had set our Volkswagen on fire on a dark street that had had no lights late at night and burned him up. According to Lucille Miller, the night before, on October 7th, she and Gordon left the house late to go to the store. She said that Gordon wanted hot chocolate and they needed milk. On their way out, Gordon grabbed a blanket and a pillow. He had said he was feeling sick, and he fell asleep in the passenger seat. Lucille drove them to the store, they bought milk, and started driving home. According to a woman named Maury Swenson, 
Lucille Miller appeared at her front door at 1.45 a.m. She was alone, asking for help. She said she'd been driving with her husband along Banyan Street when the car suddenly swerved and caught fire. Lucille got out of the car, but Gordon didn't. He often took sleeping pills, and she couldn't wake him up. She thought he could have bumped his head and been knocked unconscious. His door was locked. Lucille said she threw a rock to break his window and looked for a stick to try to push him out of the burning car. She said she ran to the intersection for help, but there were no houses there. The road was empty. Only one car passed by, and it didn't stop. Lucille said she ran up to a different street. She finally reached the Swensons' house, which was half a mile from the burning Volkswagen. Maurice Swenson answered the door and called the police. By 3 a.m., the highway patrol had arrived and put out the fire. Investigators said that the car had started burning around 12.30 a.m., an hour and 15 minutes before Lucille arrived at the Swenson's door. They thought that parts of Lucille's account seemed off. She said she'd been driving 35 miles per hour, but the detectives found the car was in a low gear. Also, its parking lights, not its driving lights, were on. In the back of the car, detectives found two cartons of milk standing upright, but a tipped-over gas can. I had been with my mother when she got that can and filled it up. Um, you know, if she was diabolical, it was going to be part of her alibi. But if she wasn't, she did run out of gas all the time. She was kind of a dingbat, even though she was really smart. So she kept it in the car because my, she kept running out of gas. And my dad, dad was like, get it together, lady. So she kept it in the car. And um, that was bad news. Lucille was charged with first-degree murder. She waited in jail before trial. Deborah remembers going with her brothers to visit their mother. The sheriff agreed to let us see her in his office. So um, I remember my brothers, had, you know, they had those little crew cuts in those days and their little chino pants and shirts. And we were sitting there first. And they had her come in in handcuffs and sit down with her children and took them off when we were there. And I think all of us were so stunned that I don't really remember the conversation. Um, I just remember thinking at the time, this 13-year-old, how cruel it was to do that to her and to her children. Leading up to the trial... Lucille's affair with Deborah's best friend's father became its own news story. The man, Arthwell Hayton, a well-known attorney, denied it. He held a press conference. He said, As you gentlemen may know, there are very often women who become amorous toward their doctor or lawyer. This does not mean on the physician's or lawyer's part that there is any romance toward the patient or client. 
He said, I would deny that there is any romance on my part whatsoever. But newspapers printed a birthday card he'd given to Lucille, calling her Sweetie Pie, and signed, Your Baby, Arthwell. Arthwell Hayton's wife had died unexpectedly about seven months earlier. Her name was Elaine Hayton. Elaine Hayton and Lucille Miller had been friends. On April 24, 1964, Arthwell was away on a trip. Elaine and Lucille had spent time together at Elaine's house that evening. And the next morning, Elaine didn't wake up. Newspapers reported that her death was an accident and could have been due to an allergic reaction to hairspray. But after Gordon Miller died, the sheriff told reporters that he was taking another look at Elaine Hayton's death. On January 11, 1965, Lucille Miller's trial began. A huge crowd came to watch. So many people were trying to get in at the same time that the glass courtroom doors shattered. Deborah remembers sitting in the courtroom, watching her mother. I was there almost every day because it was the only way to see her. I, I really didn't go to school that year. I had a teacher who would help me on the weekends, but I was at her trial. Deborah also testified. She described going with her mother to buy the gas can. The trial went on for more than two months. Lucille's lawyer told the jury that a nail had been found in one of the car's tires. He said that the nail could have caused Lucille to swerve off the road, and that when she swerved, a tube could have come loose and caused a leak in the engine. Lucille's lawyer also argued that there may have already been something wrong with the car, because earlier that day, Gordon had accidentally hit a German shepherd. He said that Lucille couldn't have wanted her husband dead. She was pregnant, and her lawyer told the jury that she was hoping the baby would save her marriage. Some people close to the family stood by Lucille and felt that the police were reckless to arrest her so quickly. I think they kind of jumped the gun and then had to make it true. The three people that were with her immediately after the accident, Harold and Joan Lance and Sandy, believed she was innocent. Sandy was the Miller's babysitter and a close family friend. Lucille's case got a lot of attention from newspapers. We even made it to the New York Times. We made it to the Los Angeles Times, and then the San Bernardino uh, Sun covered it religiously. So that the prosecution is feeding them information. And my mother's side, their attitude was, don't say anything. You just be quiet. Let them make all that noise. And so... Pretty much what would get in the papers were, you know, uh, accusations, reporting the accusations of her, and nothing about that there might be doubt. On March 5th, 1965, the jury found Lucille guilty. I remember she said, oh, no, 
And she turned around because she heard me go into hysterics. And she, <laughs> she said, we don't act like that in public. In the courtroom, that's what she said? Yes, yes. And you could hear her? Yeah, she directed it at me. She was, it was very soft and sweet, but, I mean, one reason I think she got convicted, she was completely unlikable. Her personality did not come through it. She was so stoic through the whole trial. And I guess she expected me to be that way when the, when the verdict came. So I guess I was in a family where appearances meant everything. <laughs> I didn't understand that at the time, and I wasn't mad. I, I, was, I was removed from the courtroom, and Harold Lance had me under his arm, and there's a picture of me on some magazine or some newspaper where I'm hysterical, and I'm under his arm as he's taking me away from the courtroom. One of the many reporters covering the case was a woman in her early 30s. She'd just left a job at Vogue in New York and moved back to California, where she grew up. She reached out to Lucille's lawyer and asked to meet Lucille for an interview. But as with the others, the lawyer told her no. The reporter was Joan Didion. Her essay about Lucille Miller's trial was published in the Saturday Evening Post in 1966. It starts, This is a story about love and death in the Golden Land, and begins with the country. It later became the opening essay in Joan Didion's first nonfiction book, Slouching Towards Bethlehem. In the essay, she described the San Bernardino Valley. Here is the last stop for all those who come from somewhere else, for all those who drifted away from the cold and the past and the old ways. Here's where they are trying to find a new lifestyle, trying to find it in the only places they know to look, the movies and the newspapers. It continued, It was a spotty case, and to make it work at all, the state was going to have to find a motive. They set out to find it in accountants' ledgers and double indemnity clauses, and motel registers, set out to determine what might move a woman who believed in all the promises of the middle class, who had come out of the bleak wild of prairie fundamentalism to find what she imagined to be the good life. What would drive such a woman to sit on a street called Bella Vista and look out her new picture window into the empty California sun and calculate how to burn her husband alive in a Volkswagen? To Joan Didion, San Bernardino was, quote, a harsher California, and Lucille Miller was a woman who perhaps wanted too much. Joan Didion never interviewed Lucille Miller. When the essay came out, there was one paragraph in particular that people who lived in San Bernardino seemed to hate. It went, This is the California where it is possible to live and die without ever eating an artichoke. The country of the teased hair and the capris and the girls for whom all life's promise comes down to a waltz-length white wedding dress and the birth of a Kimberly or a Sherry or a Debbie 
and a Tijuana divorce and returned to hairdresser school. We were just crazy kids, they say without regret, and look to the future. A columnist at the local paper called the essay defamatory. The paper also published quotes from a letter by the mayor of San Bernardino, objecting to Didion's portrayal, and quoted someone who had written into the paper calling Joan Didion our candidate for a fat lip. My mother hated that essay and taught her children to hate that essay. She believed it was all lies and told us that Joan Didion was a liar, the way she um, presented our family and where we lived, like, you know, we're, we were like kind of the hicks or something, I don't know. Um, that's how my mother read it, as a complete degradation of her and where she lived and her life. And I remember reading it and, and seeing what my mother saw. In 1965, Lucille Miller was sent to the California Institution for Women at Frontera. She had been sentenced to life in prison. How did she fare in prison? How did she do? Did she make <laughs> friends there? Did she... Oh, she became a drug lord in prison. We'll be right back. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA. Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Support for Criminal comes from Quince. It's spring, and you might be in the mood to get rid of some clutter. A good place as any to start is your wardrobe. Having just a few high-quality, timeless pieces of clothing feels a lot better than a closet full of stuff you're not that thrilled about. You can get some of those well-made essentials from Quince. Quince is a brand that offers luxury clothing essentials at reasonable prices. They have a wide variety of items, like 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters, organic cotton sweaters, washable silk tops, and 14-karat gold jewelry. All of Quince's stuff is affordable. In fact, they're priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They're able to do that because they partner directly with top factories. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com criminal for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash criminal to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash criminal. Lucille Miller was serving a life sentence at the California Institution for Women at Frontera. Well, um, you have to survive. (laughs) And um, somehow she set up business. She had a sneaking stuff into her when we visited her. I was terrified. They were so nice to us at the desk that um, 
I didn't want them to not like me anymore. And I didn't want to get caught and then maybe go to, to juvie. Her mother would tell her what to buy and bring. Deborah remembers sneaking bottles of vodka into the prison trash cans and hiding them with paper towels. We would go to the store and buy mace, because that's a high. I think they still use it in prison. And I'd have to <laughs> clear the shelves of all the mace and go to the counter. You know, why was I buying all this? I never liked it. I was very embarrassed. Um, and then we'd go home, and we'd wrap it in plastic bags. And then we would hide it, take it into her. I don't I remember having a pea coat, and they never checked our pea coat out front. And um, and I had money to buy her candy and stuff. And then you would you would set the stuff beside her, and she would slip it right up her, like four of them. And then you know take them back and sell it. And so, and then she wanted makeup, Lancome. So I was sneaking Lancome into her. Um, I felt she knew I was afraid. She knew I didn't want to do it. And somehow I had the feeling that if I wasn't going to do it, there was no point in me coming to visit her. She never said that. But she also didn't do anything about my fear. It didn't matter to her. Um, we owed her, I guess. I, I don't know. After seven and a half years in prison, Lucille became eligible for parole. Everybody liked her. I mean, she was a charmer. She was fun, funny. They said that she should be released. When she went up to the board the first time, they recommended that she be released, and she was. Where were you at that point in your life? I mean, you you were, you were older now. You were 20, 21? Yes, yes. Um, I had come back from being in college in, um, Northern California, and, um, I dropped out, and I had a job, and so I was, I was working. It was 1972. Lucille joined Deborah and her brothers at the home of a family friend in West L.A., I moved with her every place she lived for years. And it was often very toxic. But I wanted my mom, hook or crook, I wanted my mom. By 1984, 12 years later, Lucille was no longer living with Deborah or her brothers. She was in and out of our lives, and, you know, we they didn't have cell phones, not that it would have mattered, but we didn't know how to get in touch with her half the time, and she didn't get in touch with us, and she would pop up, and then she'd disappear, and so when she died, we weren't in sorrow. We didn't experience sorrow. In 1986, Lucille Miller died of breast cancer. She was 56. Her funeral, in a way, was kind of hilarious. 
That day is the first day that I began to doubt her innocence. You had thought she was innocent all the... All of these years, everything she put you through in the contentiousness, still in your mind, that was your mother, and your mother could be a little wild sometimes, but you never doubted that... No, I doubted. I I doubted. Um, She was so wicked in me, (laughs) so I doubted. Um, But it was at that funeral that I, you know, really, you know, began to think, Oh, my God, she was probably guilty. So I arrived wearing all her clothes. And um, clothes was a big connection between us my whole life. And um, so I was walking up the steps to go into my brother's house, and there were friends sitting on the wall of the steps, and um, I, I heard her friend Honey say to another person, you know, she went, my mom went by Rennie by this time, you know, Rennie had to give up her fur coat. And I thought, fur coat? I didn't know mom had a fur coat. In another conversation at the funeral with a longtime family friend, Sandy Deborah mentioned she'd been going through her mother's things and found some things that she thought belonged to Sandy. She began to list items. And Sandy looked shocked. And she said, I knew it. And I said, what did you know? And she said, that is all the inventory of when my house was broken into. Jewelry, a fur coat. Lucille had never admitted to stealing them, even when her friend asked her directly. Sandy, as she was dying, gave her a chance to, you know, let go of it. And my mom just closed her eyes and wouldn't speak. And um, and at some point, I began to think, if she could take one secret to her grave, why not another? The year before Lucille died... Deborah started a new job as a high school English teacher. It had been 20 years since Lucille's trial and 19 years since Joan Didion's essay had come out. In that time, Joan Didion had become famous, and so had her essay about Lucille, the one Deborah hated. It's widely used in classes, and it's used uh, with the great Gatsby in search of, you know, the American dream and what happens. (laughs) And um, you know that andum I'm saying? That's what my mother used to do. I just realized that (laughs) everything was an andum. So one of the teachers in the English department wanted to teach it along with the great Gatsby. And no one at my school knew my background except my department chair, who was my best friend. And I went straight to her because I thought I'd lose my job. I taught at a Catholic school, and um, I thought I'd lose my, my job if they found out my past. Even though, you know, I was very popular there and the kids loved me and I envisioned they would say, well, you know, we're really sorry this has to happen, 
but you understand. That was sort of, you know, what I said to myself. So I didn't want the, the, my students to know about it. And it stayed that way for a long time. And then one afternoon, I was looking for an essay to use for something, and I read her essay again. And when I read it, I went, she's right. She described us exactly. And so I wrote her a letter. And I said, it made you famous. It's the story of my life. We'll be right back. Thanks to Progressive for their support. While you're listening to the show, maybe you're also doing something else. Driving, dishes, folding laundry. I listen when I go on walks. If you're not currently driving a car, you could also be getting an auto quote from Progressive Insurance. Save money right now from your phone. Drivers who switch to Progressive save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Discounts for having multiple vehicles on your policy, being a homeowner, and more. Progressive will be with you 24-7, 365 days a year, so you're protected no matter what. You can get a quote for your car insurance at Progressive.com to join over the 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Embracing nature is more than just going for a walk now and then. It's reconnecting with the elements. It's harnessing the power of natural ingredients. It's putting the earth first. For over 50 years, Nature's Sunshine has been sharing the healing power of nature as they work towards a healthier planet. Their manufacturing facility is 100% powered by sunlight, and they divert 95% of waste away from landfills. If you're looking for a sustainably made herbal supplement, you might want to check out Nature's Sunshine and their new power line. Power Beats are a superfood performance booster that can help enhance both performance and blood flow. And Power Meal is a satisfying protein-packed superfood shake that comes in sustainable packaging made with nearly 40% post-consumer recycled plastics. Now that's something you can feel good about. This Earth Month, you can enjoy 25% off your first order with code NSP. Just go to naturesunshine.com. That's naturesunshine.com and use code NSP for 25% off your first order. In 1991, Deborah Miller sent a letter to Joan Didion. I wanted her to know that her, her essay had affected my life. I was now a high school English teacher. My brother Guy was a dentist. Uh, my brother Ron... Uh, He's a high school teacher now. He was writing at the time. I wanted her to know we turned out okay in the end. Did you ever, you sent that letter off, were you expecting a reply? Yes, I was hoping that she would tell me that my letter was so fabulously written that she 
would want to be my friend. <laughs> and she would adopt me, and we would live happily ever after. Did she write you back? She did write me back. About a month later, she wrote back. It was the strangest letter. It begins very lovely and personal. Something like, you know, I've thought of your family through the years. I can't imagine how terrible that was. Um, you know, a couple of sentences. And then she backs completely away and starts writing about the author's relationship to their subjects. Joan Didion wrote to Deborah, As a writer, I try to compartmentalize the people and events I've written about. The writer goes in, tries to understand the story, as if the act of writing it down completed the situation, became the truth. I guess I think writers need to do this, have to do this, to maintain the nerve to write anything at all. But of course, it's an illusion. With the letter, she included a book containing a Philip Larkin poem that read, They fuck you up, your mom and dad. They do not mean to, but they do. She sent me that book. <laughs> the poem continues, They fill you with the faults they had and add some extra just for you. Well, that poem is pretty, it really, really does hit to the point, huh? Yep. <laughs> you don't need to say much more. And I love it that she, that's what she sent to me. You know, it was, I loved it. I still have the book. I'll always have the book. They didn't exchange any other letters. But six years later, they met in person. It was an event in Beverly Hills. Deborah's stepdaughter, Robin Abkarian, was a columnist at the Los Angeles Times, and she was going to interview Joan Didion on stage about her latest novel. You know, Robin said, you know, expect her to be polite, but, you know, she's, um, she's kind of shy. And so I was prepared for a handshake. And so Robin introduced me, and Joan Didion threw her arms around me and turned around and said, oh, this is Debbie. <laughs> um, that was like, you know, a dream come true. Deborah Miller is writing a book about her mother. I will never know if she's guilty or innocent. I need her to be guilty because she suffered so much. But I will never know for sure one way or the other. Does it surprise you that people are so interested in her? No. I'm the one that's not interesting in my memoir, and that's what worries me. She, she's what was interesting, and that was the way it was my whole life. She's the one that was, she was an enigma. I couldn't have her to myself. I always wanted her to myself. And in the years that I've been off and on with this memoir, I've had her to myself. 
and she will be gone when it's finished. Criminal is created by Lauren Spohr and me. Nadia Wilson is our senior producer. Katie Bishop is our supervising producer. Our producers are Susanna Robertson, Jackie Sajiko, Libby Foster, Lily Clark, Lena Sillison, and Megan Kinane. Our technical director is Rob Byers. Engineering by Veronica Simonetti and Russ Henry. I'm going to stop at Jack in the Box on my way home to get two tacos, and then... I'm going to read my book. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know that Jack in the Box had tacos. I thought they just had hamburgers. No, they're a taco place. Really? See, that's what someone who's not from California would say. Well, nobody knows what they put in those tacos, <laughs> but they're absolutely delicious and they're very popular with everyone, especially, you know, people who eat gummies. And I'm not one of those. I've been sober (laughs) for many, many years. (laughs) Julian Alexander makes original illustrations for each episode of Criminal. You can see them at thisiscriminal.com. We're on Facebook and Twitter at Criminal Show and Instagram at criminal underscore podcast. Criminal is recorded in the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC. We're part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Discover more great shows at podcast.voxmedia.com. I'm Phoebe Judge. This is Criminal. Thanks to Progressive for their support. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who switch to Progressive save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Celebrate Earth Month this April by harnessing the power of Mother Nature with Nature's Sunshine's new power line. From Power Greens with over 200 plant-based nutrients to support gut health and foundational nutrition to Power Beats that can improve performance and blood flow. Not to mention Power Meal, which delivers plant-based calories from Whole Foods to help keep you both energized and feeling satisfied throughout the day. This Earth Month, you can enjoy 25% off your first order with code NSP. Just go to naturesunshine.com. That's naturesunshine.com and use code NSP for 25% off your first order.